0: My son Isaiah, it's just the things he says these days are hilarious. A couple of weeks ago, he was like, Is today the future? <laughs> you know, is um, it? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Oh, like how, where do I start?
1: Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the complicated meaning of success in career, family, and life. I'm Kate Wong, Jeanette Park, and Susan Liu. Harvard classmates, and Asian-American working moms to littles who get real about the pressures of fitting in
2: while standing out. Hello and welcome to another episode of Model Minority Moms. In today's episode, we are going to talk about what's actually so great about motherhood because we've kind of been really talking about how it's really hard, but let's just create some space to actually talk about why, why even bother in the first place. So, we all have kids that are all different ages. I want you to think about in this week what was a beautiful moment that you had with your kid? I'll start. Okay. Every day after daycare, I get art, we go on a walk, and then we come back to my backyard and we go to these raspberry bushes. And then I'll pick the most ripe, like juicy, like sugary raspberries and I'll just put them on my palm and he just starts grabbing them and smacking his lips and eating them and it's just sometimes I'll eat some he'll eat something he'll just wait for me to get some more and he's so present in eating these raspberries he's just like you know and he's so cute doing it and and that's all we're doing in the world is like enjoying these raspberries and I think before I had kids I would have never thought that that was that meaningful of a moment, but this is something I, I look forward to doing every day because it's so simple and easy and we're just there. And it's just, it's just like, so pure, you know, like, it's just so pure. So that's our thing that we like to do that where I'm like, well, I, I would have never done this before. What about you two? Like what, what, are, what's a really special, wonderful moment where you're like, wow, I'm a mom. This is great. All the dividends are paying off right now.
1: You stole my raspberry story. I had one from oh, like you- this weekend too, damn it. <laughs> well, it was oh. raspberry
2: season. Wait, no, I know. same thing
1: happened, same thing. Well, I mean, I can, don't worry, I'll use a different example, but that did also happen. Yes, and she's a raspberry fiend and she wouldn't share with me. She ate like 20 raspberries and said no when I asked her if I could have one. But anyway, my story is a little, nerfings is a little weird for my husband. So I hope he doesn't listen to this episode, although he's a loyal fan, so maybe he will. So- when Raya was like maybe seven, eight months old, we started developing this routine where she would like stick her fingers in my mouth while she was bottle feeding or something. And she just really liked it. You know, she's got little fingers and she's like scratching me inside of your mouth. It doesn't really hurt. Anyways, so it's become a thing with us where now I pretend to bite her fingers, but she really loves it. So it's like this form of just like we're just horseplay, right? But I always ask her, I'm like, Raya, do you want it? And then she knows exactly what I'm talking about because I'm just like making biting noises with my mouth. I know this sounds really creepy probably. Maybe I should stop right here. But anyway, she lo- if she says no, then I don't. But then she's like, yeah, yeah. So then I like pretend to bite her finger. She's just, I don't know. There's something about her. Like I like pretend that I'm going to go for it. And then she just like starts giggling hysterically and like sometimes trying to stick her hand in, but then not. And it's just really funny because it's such a strange thing, right? But it's so fun and innocent and she's just having we're both having lots of fun and yeah that's our little our little ritual that only the two of us do and maybe my husband's just jealous because he doesn't have that with her like, <laughs> <laughs> don't you think I'm like I mean I always ask for her permission so you know it's like
0: a pretend tiger cub thing
1: yes yeah yeah and sometimes I do it with her feet too but mm-hmm. I also ask oh yeah permission, like can I and then she'll be like no and then I'll be like okay
2: so yeah, I definitely love biting or pretend biting art's feet, but I haven't done this whole consent thing, which I should probably start doing. Well, I only read about it. No, dude,
1: I read about it recently because I didn't think about it. You know, when she's like, before she could communicate, she's like seven, or eight months. Uh, I guess apparently you're supposed to do it then too. Like, even if they don't understand or like can talk, you're supposed to say, mommy is going to like, Bite your fingers now. Okay. Or something like that. And I was like, oh, no, I haven't been doing that. I should ask her for consent. Especially, well, they're thinking, especially with like with girls, right? Like, just so they understand that, you know, intimate activity, whatever it is, like, should be any, you know, any kind of physical intimacy. Somebody getting close to you should be done with consent anyway. I, I read that right. recently. So, so right, yeah.
2: <laughs> like, it. learning about or the boundaries it. of bodies. Yeah. Like, this yeah, is yeah. my body and I can tell you if it's okay or not.
0: Yeah. I think with Ruth, Ruth does a similar thing where when, when she feeds, she likes to stick her fingers in my mouth and I pretend bite them. And she thinks it's, she, I don't know why she really oh, likes it's it. It's
2: normal. Thank you, Jeanette.
1: Okay. Yeah, I to it's Mara, totally normal. It's not weird. Cause he kept saying that it's like weird. No, okay. it's, I think it's I totally, totally normal. <laughs>
0: um, another thing she likes to do is also while she's feeding, she, we started this thing where she'll like breathe kind of hard. Like And then I'll follow the same pattern. And then it kind of became a game where she would breathe like in a different pattern. Like, like she'll do it three times and then I'll do it three times or she'll do one big one and I'll do one big one. And then she kind of like gives me a little smile while she's eating. And yeah, it's just like one of these things like, yeah, like Susan, what you're saying is so, so just like, it's a game, but it has no purpose, no end goal. It's just about being with each other and being present and yeah, it's like it's lovely. That's with my daughter and then with my son, Isaiah. It's just the things he says these days are hilarious. A couple of weeks ago, he was like, Is today the future? <laughs> you know, is or, it? Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh, like, how where do I start? And we just came back from a week long vacation. I was driving him to school after a week away, and I was like, Hey, are you feeling happy or sad about going back to school and seeing your teachers and friends? And he said, I feel nothing. (laughs) Right. And I was like, I I don't know, maybe listeners, uh, we might get some comments like, is your son okay? I feel like we have a, we try to create a very emotionally supportive environment. (laughs) But it's interesting because I think both my husband and I are a little bit like, when we're under situations of stress, we tend to suppress our emotions. That's our kind of our natural go-to. And it's funny to already see that in our son where I feel like we're trying to keep him in touch with his emotions. I feel like he is kind of a sensitive kid, but that's also his go-to, you know, thing. Like if he feels like he's entering even a little bit of a sensitive situation, he just kind of suppresses his feelings. So yeah, just the things that he says are hilarious. <laughs> is today the future? I mean <laughs> I'm like It's a good it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. How did you answer that one? Well, I just said, well, the future is the thing, the time that hasn't happened yet. So a part of today is the future because not all of today happened, but the part of today, like now is the present and the part that passed is the past. (laughs) So- Did he get it? That's that's pretty sophisticated, I feel. Yeah, I I think he, around this time, I mean, also talking to friends is the whole concept of time is emerging. And so- He doesn't completely like comprehend like what is a day. Sometimes he'll say after he wakes up from his nap, he'll say, "Is it tomorrow?" You know, or like as he's going to sleep at night, he'll be like, "When I wake up, it'll still be today." And I'll say, "No, it'll be tomorrow," and then he'll get super upset. He'll be like, "No, it's gonna still be today." I'm like, "So he's he's kind of grappling with this idea of time and." units of time, right? Like days, weeks, months. He, he asked me like, is Christmas today? Or he'll ask me, you know, when, when it's Christmas, will I still be a toddler? Sorry, one other hilarious thing he said related to this is, you know, so my son is three, my daughter's 10 months old. And we talked to him about how his younger sister is going to become a toddler too one day. And he said, so when Ruth is a toddler, will I go into your belly? Oh. <laughs> Which is a totally logical question, right? I mean, if you don't really know how life progresses and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that I was a baby once, but now my baby sister is a baby. So when she becomes a toddler, will we just like switch places? So, yeah, he just asked the best questions, I think. It, you know, it's. I guess I, what I'm
2: trying to, what I'm deducing from this is like, who's wrong and who's right? You know what I mean? Because like, in a way, their brains are so fresh without so much judgment and exposure and all this stuff. Like their questions are so pure and there's, it's, do we really understand time? Are we living parallel lives, you know? they're so in the present we're maybe worse we i read somewhere that 50% of the time we're just not paying attention you know like we're we're actually not in the present moment and we're thinking about something else have you ever driven somewhere and it was like how did i even get here and all of a sudden you've arrived and you're like i'm so glad i didn't get in an accident like they are so in the present moment that i feel like when i observe art i feel like i'm doing some unlearning here, you know, or I see him approach things with so much curiosity and so much newness. And, or when he falls down, when he's trying to practice his stand and he keeps failing, keeps failing, I see it as like, oh, it's failure, but he, he just sees it as practice. You know, like, I'm, I, I feel like in a way, sometimes like I need to, to undo what I've learned because it's not always very helpful.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I think, well, you know, Michael Pollan's book, Changing Your Mind, which is not about microdosing, Susan. (laughs) But he has like a section where he talks about kids and he's talking to a child psychologist. And he describes how young children are essentially always tripping. Because I guess part of going on a trip is that you lose a sense of time, right? You're fully in the present and kind of like past. I don't know. I've never gone on a trip. So it's like, I don't really know what it's exactly like, but in the descriptions, it seems like you kind of lose your ego, right? You lose like the sense of your past self and your future self. And this uh, child psychologist talks about how children are like that, right? Really like until the age of three or four, they don't have the sense of their past self and their future self. And so they're always living in the present. And in that way, they're kind of like always on mushrooms or something, right? So it's that's just an interesting side note. I feel like if I
2: did that more, like really lived in the present instead of like worrying about judgment or, you know, tapping into some triggered emotion or whatever, like
0: wouldn't we live such happier lives? Yeah, I think it's a good discipline to have. I mean, it, it's hard, right? Because some of the things we learn, I, I think a lot of it is helpful, but some of it's just not helpful. And they kind of sometimes come together.
2: I feel like when there's something related to family stuff, before I make a decision or respond to an email or a phone call, like I, I hyperanalyze it and try to figure out all the options, like what's going to reduce the most disappointment, you know, or whatever. And it's like, I spend so much energy trying to reduce pain, with people who trigger me instead of just like, I'm just going to call them, you know, like I just, there's something about childrens that, 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 that I'm starting to find really inspiring that I never really paid attention to before I had kids. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I think everything you're saying is absolutely true. It's just the uh, being present and the innocence and what you were saying about them trying and trying again. And I just watch like my daughter, Ruth, she's, also like learning to stand up and kind of cruise and stuff. And, you know, just, she just doesn't worry like, okay, did I try this way, like hard enough, right? She just like tries it a couple of times. And if it's not working for her, she just moves on to the next thing. And, but like every day she's making progress, right? And it's fascinating to watch because I, I think at this point in my life, I overthink a lot of, things, and it, that overthinking itself consumes a lot of energy, energy that I could actually put towards just doing it. Totally. Totally.
2: Okay. I have a a weird question to ask you. Do you, when you see pictures of your kids, does it give you a dopamine hit? Like, do you like feel really good all over your body and go like, they're just so cute? How did that come out of me? They're such an angel. Like, do you go through this? Like, does it make you feel positive? Like, do you do you feel that? Like, I'm just wondering, is is there something happening that's in? Is it nor is this normal? Because I'm I'm like. Now I just like look at pictures and sometimes when he's asleep, I like look at his pictures. I'm like, what am I oh,
0: doing? Yeah, I totally do that. Before I sleep, I'll lie in bed and I'll scroll through old pictures of our kids. Like I'll show them to Jake. Yeah, totally dopamine and oxytocin, like just flowing all over my brain. It's this also work. I remember when I was
1: pumping and trying to establish my milk supply, one of the tips was to just flip through photos of your baby while you pump and it's supposed to make you like happy and relaxed and more emotionally connected to them, right? Because as opposed to breastfeeding, you don't actually have the baby latch into your boob. It's just a machine. And so, yeah, that, and plus like listening to some relaxing or meditate, like, you know, music or meditation is supposed to be really helpful, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it definitely does trigger, you know a cascade of chemical reactions in your brain and that's a good sign, right? It's a sign of attachment. And we also do the review every night in bed, even though we've just, you know, we go through our phones and we're like, Raya review, okay, let's look at all her photos. And the nerve is actually the worst or best, depending on how you look at it. He'll just like flip back and repeatedly play videos that he likes like 10 times. And I'm like, okay, you just watched that three times, I'm done, bye. And he's like, no, I wanna watch it again. Aw. Anyway, it is really cute. It's cute, but he'll watch,
2: yeah, like 10 times. we do that too. Like there's this one art video where he's at daycare and there's a little little plastic playhouse and then I go, "Hi!" and then he like smacks open one of the shutters and then walks away and we think it's so funny. I I just remember pre-kids. I, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, you had a kid." And then they're like, "Yeah, you want to see photos?" And I like, "Don't really." And then they'll like <laughs> show me all the photos. And then I don't know when to like politely transition to, can we talk about what we're supposed to talk about? Like, like they'll just keep going and I didn't find them terribly interesting, but now I totally get it. <laughs> and I apologize in advance to anyone when I'm like, hey, do you wanna see some photos? Like, it's, it's so strange. Like, because I always had this debate, like, why have kids if you could adopt kids, right? There's kids out there that, and as, as they age, and Get older, they were less likely to get adopted. So I'm Marvin and I talk about it. And I'm like, Marvin, like let's consider this option first before even having kids. And he was like, mm, No. And I was like, why? Why? I was like, is it because we're egotistical people? We just want this creature to look like us and, and exist in the world when we're gone. Like, why must we actually have kids? You know? And I was like, so curious about that. But i realize i'm going on the other topic
0: (laughs) no it's fine we could we can be flexible yeah when jake and i were in college adoption was something we talked about more seriously i mean we weren't married in college but like we both individually i think had some interest in it and then when we were together we were like well if we got married maybe we would adopt i mean i think this just touches on so many areas, right? That many of which are very personal, right? Like your values, your religious beliefs, like all of that. And there was a part of me that was like, well, you know, if every life is equal, then, you know, there are already these kids in the world who don't have homes. Shouldn't we adopt them? And so I think that that's something that we had talked about It's something that I feel is still possible in the future for us, but I feel like I see it as a more challenging thing now than when I was, you know, in my 20s, because um, I know folks who have adopted several different people, and it's just it's it's not an easy journey at all. And sometimes, like I wonder if I had a little bit of a messianic complex too, like you know, I'm going to take this kid who would be in really bad circumstances and I'm gonna give him or her such a better life and they're gonna be like the next Steve Jobs maybe, right, or whatever. But I think the reality of it is a lot of kids who are up for adoption, you know, are coming from situations that are really tough. And even in utero may have been exposed to different influences that will make it more challenging. For adoptive parents to raise. There's so there's like a lot of things there that we can talk about, but you know, generally, I just see it as a very still admirable thing to do, but something that people should go in with really eyes like wide open about how difficult it is.
1: Yeah, I think Jeanette's right. When I was younger, I thought, oh, you know, adoption would be great, et cetera, especially if you go to like a liberal institution, everybody around you is like, yes, like adopt, et cetera. Theoretically, yes, but now that I'm actually a parent, I don't think I could ever, I could not in my current state adopt. And it's not because of resources, it's not because of theoretical you know, need, it's because, you know, we're going through a challenging time with Raya right now. She's got these big feelings. I texted you guys this morning with like, oh my God, meltdown, she hit me. And I'm thinking I'm not in a place emotionally and psychologically where if this child were not my biological child, I mean, it's already tough enough, right, with Raya because it triggers a lot of things uh, for me about my childhood and how I was raised. And, you know, I'm trying to work on it and I hate saying this, this is probably going to earn me some, like, I don't know, hate mail or something, but I don't, I'm not saying that having a biological child is better than having an adopted child. It's just that every person is a very, in a very different mental state and not everyone is in the right mindset to adopt a child. It's very different. Right. And I was thinking of this, do you guys hear about the, this controversy that happened to these YouTube influencers last year called the, the Stouffers? Do you oh. hear about this? So, okay. So there are these big YouTube stars. They're like, I don't know, a million followers or h- many hundreds of thousands. And they have like quite a few owned their own biological children. And then they adopted this child from China like three years ago, I think. And, you know, they put it all over YouTube. It was like the adoption during all this crying, blah, 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 blah. And people were just like, oh, that's so amazing. Dah, 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 dah. But then apparently it's like really terrible thing. I just feel gross saying this, but they had to rehome their adopted child, yeah, because and they weren't really clear. they were just like it was not a good fit, all this stuff. anyway, they got criticized so much because they're like, you know, you made money off of this child, et cetera, et cetera. But I, you know, I felt the the tragic side of that, you know, critics aside, whatever you think they might have done, it's just that it's really hard. I mean, they may have, you know, done it for not kosher reasons, but even if they had, it's just not easy. you know, I think he had some, you know, the child had some mental and emotional needs that, we're really tough, right? For any family. And obviously maybe this is just definitely not the right family, but I just think that we do glamorize weirdly enough, right? Adoption, like, especially upper middle-class people. Uh, we just think it's like the greatest thing to do. And if you can, you should, but it's just not that easy. I mean, raising a child, sorry, I know we're supposed to be all positive or anything, but it, you go through, it's really, it can be really difficult. You have to really re-examine your attitudes towards your values, yourself, your relationship with your spouse your relationship with your own parents it's really and it's great I think actually you know as a positive note I think it's really great that it's forcing me to do this because I don't know if any other external force would have you know pushed me to this state but I was like I don't know if I could have done it with an adopted child necessarily because I think it's just I don't know how to say this in a way again where it doesn't sound like cruel or rude but when it's your biological child that you've carried and you've given birth to, or, even if you haven't, there's just, there's something intangible there. And I think that does make a difference for a lot of people. I'm not saying it does for everyone, but I think for me, I realized after this experience of having, you know, my own biological child, I don't think I'm in a state currently to even think about adoption, like mentally and emotionally. I'm just, I don't, wouldn't trust myself. You know, even if I wanted to, I would say, Kate, you cannot,
2: Anyway, right, right. That's I mean, you know, I mean, what we're saying is it's super personal. It's a very personal choice. I, I guess what's missing in this conversation is a control person where they have both a biological kid and an adopted kid, and then you can really hear that perspective. Right. We're just saying from the outside, it's like you
0: have to be really prepared. You read about these rehoming things, which I feel like should be more publicized, honestly, not to shame those families. Well, can we clarify what rehome is for people who. Oh, yeah. I guess so, I should really
1: explain it. Jeanette,
0: why don't you? Oh, yeah. So, like, rehoming is you adopt a child. I think this more commonly occurs with kids who are internationally adopted because there's much less regulatory oversight over that whole process. If you adopt a kid domestically, there's a social worker who's like assigned to your case who will like follow up with you over the, I think, at least like the medium term. But with a lot of these international adoptions it doesn't go through that there's no like regulatory oversight and so you know you will adopt a child from china or russia or like some some other place and if you feel like you cannot have that kid in your home anymore you find another adoptive home for that kid that's what rehoming means and you know i think what's so so heartbreaking about it is that you know this kid's already been traumatized once, like deeply traumatized, like to an extent where, you know, it's questionable if they'll ever really recover from that, but then you're re-traumatizing them in the same way. And it's just, you know, it's very hard. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, as a parent, can I be a good parent to this child? You know, can I, can I put them in a safe situation and all that? And like, you know, you have to be honest with yourself. If, if you're not.
1: Susan, you were saying earlier about when you were not, you didn't have kids and you just thought it was like silly that people wanted to show you photos of their kids. I think there are a lot of these things where you know, when I did not have a kid, I had just all these thoughts about, oh, well that can't be that hard or this should work like this, right? And then you have the child <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck, no one told me about this. Or like, wow, this is, you know, and, and not, it's not all bad. Sorry, I made it sound like really dramatic, but it, it, it's just a lot of, it, it bring, it's not just the function of, okay, keeping your child alive, like, are they eating? Like are they healthy? I think for me, that's like the easy part, even if it does cause sleep deprivation in the first year. Right? That's like, I feel like that was like the easier part now that I think about it mentally, because I think the hardest part now is really as a, as a parent or as a mom, dad, I'm sure dad as well, is the process of learning a lot more about yourself and then unlearning a lot of behaviors or ways of thinking that you've gotten used to before you had a kid, which are now not healthy and potentially you know, can impact you know your child, who is this like we all said innocent you know creature. I feel like that's the real work, right? Or for me as I'm realizing it's not just okay, what school should you know my child go to or like what college should they apply to? That's like the easy work, which I know sorry not saying that it's not it's it's not hard, but for me, I feel like that's the easy part, the hardest part, but also the most rewarding to sound like, <laughs> a broken record and a cliche is really the work that you do on yourself as a parent, especially if you come from like, I think all three of us come from immigrant backgrounds where we have a lot of trauma in our, both in our parents' generation that have, you know, trickled down to us, but also in our childhoods growing up, right? Just different forms of emotional or physical trauma and got to work through that shit now. Cause there's another creature.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a hundred percent. Everything right? you just said, I, I remember when I first got married, I was like, "Whoa, this is deep personal growth work." Like, this person's like legally bound; we're bound to each other. My God! And then having the baby was like, like personal growth, like, like all the things of around like unconditional love, my inner child, all that. Like, like major magnifying glass on. And I, like, I'm really seeing all this stuff. And so I'm curious for you, Kate what's the thing did you have a recent aha moment about yourself that you could share or what is the thing that you're working on right now when you're like you're like kind of thank you child for teaching me that but oh child why are you teaching me this right now like what's going on specifically for you right now yeah totally well what
1: I texted you guys about right you know my daughter is kind of like going through this big big toddler feeling phase it first started out with like lots of crying which is normal but then she started hitting me recently just mostly me you know, like not, it doesn't hurt. It'll just be like when she's really mad. And I know objectively, like I read all the stuff, like they're having big feelings. They can't control their feelings. Like it's not personal. So I don't, I don't feel offended, but I think in general, I think because of my relationship with my parents and how I grew up, I just get really like physically, I can feel it in my body really tense when she starts like you know, melting down nonstop and then hitting me, even though I know objectively, you know, I must say the words like, you know, you and can't hit mommy, it hurts. We don't hit people. And I'll say that, but today this morning was like, it was just like one after the other. I had to like barge into the bedroom where my husband was taking a call and be like, you need you had to take over, and actually, I learned this from last time because last time when I texted you guys, also similar situation without the hitting, I got so upset I yelled at her, right? And I was like, I can't, I can't do that this time, so I just stepped out. And so, I, I, I realized that like I get triggered by certain situations, you know, with her. And again, I think I mentioned this in the previous episode, just reading about it in one of these child development books, it's because. You know, if you've gone through certain things as a child, you may not think about it consciously every day as an adult, but in situations when you have a child and they cry or get upset, it could trigger something just unconscious in you. And it could be physical. It can be just your reaction. I kind of just like, I don't really know what to do. Like, I know what I should do, but it's very hard to execute that. And so that's something that I, I, I need to, like, work on more. I mean, I'm at least aware of ways in which I could protect myself and my daughter in that situation now, which is, like, have my husband go you know, deal with it if I'm just feeling like I can't, I can't handle it, but it's really hard, right? Yeah. It's, and, and I think it's one thing to say, you know, oh yes, these are the things that you're supposed to do. And, you know, here are the things that you're supposed to say. I'm just like, yeah, guys, I, you know, I totally understand that. I know that I read all that stuff too, but when it comes to execution, it's really hard, you know, you have to, and I think the only way to really work on that is just, well, we've talked about it before, but like therapy, you know, work, having a partner who can respond and, you know, work with you on it anyway. Yeah. So, and also giving yourself some grace, right? I always feel like total crap if I, you know, snap back at my daughter cause she hit me, but you know, as long as I don't make that a habit, if it happens once, like I can always go back and apologize to her. I, I hadn't done that today, but she's probably forgotten
2: by now. But anyway, so yeah,
1: <laughs> anyway, I mean, do, supposed you, to.
2: do you feel sad or resentful that she doesn't do it to your husband? No, I
1: don't, because I know that actually our babysitters told us, <laughs> one of our babysitters works at a, a, a daycare center, and she was like, oh, you know, we notice that the children are the meanest to the parent they love the most, which is usually their mom. She's like, I see yeah. all the kids coming and like hitting their moms or yelling at their moms. And they don't do that to the teachers. They don't do it like as much to their dads. It's because, and she explained, it's because the kids feel safer. Like they feel like whatever they do or say, their mom will still love them. Yeah. And so they'll just act out more with their mom, yeah. which is kind of interesting into like intuitively you wouldn't think that like, if you love somebody, shouldn't you be nicer to them? But in this it's in this case, it's because they feel safer, you know, being all emotional. So I guess, you know, if I take a step back, I should be, I don't know, happy, but I should be <laughs> grateful that she feels comfortable enough to be so upset so that she would hit me, but not, you know, necessarily her dad or other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think moms are kind of like the emotional dumpster for their kids. You know, it's just like, yeah, my kids are similar. My husband's like, oh yeah, Isaiah never acts like that when he's out with me. And when he's with me, he just gets so like, he cries a lot, he has a lot of complaints and he, he can just fuss a lot. But yeah, it's hard, Kate, right? Because you're often tired. I tried to remember, okay, like he feels safe with me. That's why he's he's able to be like this, right? And what my therapist also says is that, you know, kids individuate, like they become their own person. Uh, and one of the ways is through anger, through expressing anger. And so they're also kind of testing the waters, like, well, if I'm angry and if I am sad, and if I have these negative feelings, like, how are you going to respond, Right. Are you going to create a safe space for that, for me to like go through these things and figure out who I am? Or are you going to become dysregulated, right? And are you going to like make it feel not safe? You know, and and I think that actually like that's one of the things that I'm trying to work through in therapy. In my case, in my family, apart from that one episode that I told you guys about yelling at my third grade teacher, I never I don't have any recollection of throwing a tantrum with my parents or being super angry at them right because like I think my parents because of their own traumas and 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 because of like their own you know things that they chose to do they became emotionally dysregulated a lot of times when they were under stress and so if I was really sad or angry you know it just didn't feel like a safe space And I think because of that, in some ways, I'm still trying to figure out, well, like, you know, what do I want? Like, is it okay for me to be angry? Even I think it's coming out in this podcast, right? Sometimes when I say things, I start apologizing and then I listen to myself in, you know, in editing and I'm like, well, why did I apologize for that? And I need to, right? But I think a lot of it is stemmed kind of in my childhood. And yeah, and and having a kid forces you to think about these things a lot more. I think you and I had the same experience around, you know, caregiver
1: emotions, or, you know, un sort of dysregulated emotion growing up. But I respond in a different way, as recently talking to a new therapist. And, you know, he was like, it's because when you are are around someone, you know, anybody in your family who's emotionally narcissistic, you end up not working on your own emotions and figuring out how you, you know, can either control them or moderate them or express them. And so you just kind of like, you know, suppressed, but then it can burst, right? So I think for me, I have that issue where I never really learned how to, in a healthy manner, find an outlet for how I feel. So it just kind of just gets like all bottled up and then it comes out and like, I snap at my husband or, you know, it's like over nothing, right? I think of all the fights that my husband and I have had and then they're literally over something just stupid. I will be comfortable saying that it, it was like stupid. We have not really had any fights over like the things that probably most people have fights over, right? And it's mostly because I just like snap at something really small. And I think it comes from my inability to really like regulate my my emotion. It's all related to, you know, how we grew up and things like that. So not that I wanna make it again. I feel like part of this, our episode is like, oh, uh, so is there any hope? But I think the hope is when you have a kid, if you're like in a reasonably stable state, right? and you're reasonably self-aware, you can definitely, you know, these are things that kind of spur you to work on them. And it's funny because like recently I was reading or somebody was asking me, I can't remember, like, how do you know you're ready to have a kid, right? Because like, if you have so many issues, I have friends who are like, well, I'm still working through some of these issues. Like, I don't know that I'm really ready emotionally, mentally. Like, I don't want to put, you know, put my issues on onto a child, things like that. And so I want to ask the two of you, what would you advise somebody, right? Like. Let's say it was yourself pre-child and you had these concerns, like, well, I've been seeing a therapist. I got to work through these things that I had with my parents. I don't think I'm ready to have a child. What would you
0: say to that person? I don't know why, but my brain always reverts to cave people. (laughs) And I'm like, in cave women times, you know, we actually would not even have had the choice. I don't know if cave people had consensual sex or not, but for most cave women, they would have just gotten pregnant, right? Probably sometime in their teens. Or something, and they would have just had the kid and they would have just been forced into the experience. It might've been terrible because it's like, if they have a lot of traumas, like they have no way to control it, but they would have just been forced in the situation. Whereas for women in the modern age, many of us do have a lot of control over when and if to get pregnant. And so, yes, yeah, that's just a side note, right? But we're in this interesting time where we can choose. I have a more straightforward answer about marriage, right? Because you're entering into a relationship with a person who's also a up, hopefully. And that's also a way you can kind of hold up a magnifying glass to yourself and figure out that you have some things you need to work through. I think my
2: response to the question, how do I know if I'm ready? I have two thoughts there. The first one is around perfectionism. And I think as women... We are so like, we're swimming in water of the pressures of being perfect all the time and having shame about things and wanting to fix and be the solution so much all the time. We're swimming, it's like the water that we swim in that we're surrounded by and we don't even know it, okay? So that's the first thing, which is if your friend really wants to have a baby and we we all know the fraternity journey, does it doesn't happen possibly the next month, right? It could take a long time. If she knows she wants that and yes, there's all the stuff she needs to work on, go do it. You know, start your fertility journey because we're never going to be perfect. And I I don't think we'll ever reach a point where we feel so satisfied. And we are like, I am now done with my issues because I don't think we're ever done with our issues. And once you have the kid, yeah, you're on this fast track to like start resolving some of these things and getting different types of support for it. Because now there's another being that is dependent on you. So part one is, Nobody's perfect, just go do it. Now, part two is something that I've been thinking about, which is your resentment to regret ratio. So, if you're kind of like, okay, I really want to have a kid, and maybe you don't say this consciously to yourself, but maybe you're like, I'm going to live vicariously through them. All of the stuff that I regretted not doing, or all these expectations that I have for them, is because of my own stuff. And I'm going to completely project it and then become that scary tiger mom, helicopter mom, whatever, you know, all the ways that society continues to villainize moms. If you know that you're going to do that, or the reason why you want to have a kid is because you want to fill a void of your own stuff. I think you just have to be really aware of that, because I think that can become really dangerous. It seems like with millennials, like we're trying to be really proactive about it and more self-aware, but at the same time, that's a real danger. And then, then the kid is, well, you're going to have to pay for their therapy in the future, you know, and they're going to be like, you really messed me up. And like, the last thing we want to do is mess up our kids, but you actually might be the conduit for doing that. So I think you have to really distinguish that and be really honest with yourself of like, why do you want to have kids? Like. Is it feeling feeling something very insecure in you where you you think this is gonna solve it? Whereas you actually have to do the work to solve it first. You get what I'm saying? So like, no clear answer, but I really do think that if people really want to have kids, go do it. because, Because there's nobody out there in the world that's gonna be like, you're fixed, you're done. Pass, go, collect $200. You're good now. You know, like, no one is going to give that to ourselves but us. Was that like the most complicated, complex non answer?
0: What do you mean by resentment to regret ratio? Can you
2: talk well, more about that? Yeah, well, I just made it up. I mean, I'm just like scribbling on a piece of paper. Well, I mean, okay, well, here it is with me. Yeah, I guess really I'm just talking about myself. We're always just, I have a friend, but really it's just yourself. Is like, I really wanted to be a performance artist. I really want to be an entertainer. I really wanted to like be on stage. I didn't know how. And, and I, I had gotten so much pressure to have kids from my dad and my aunties. And I'm, I'm getting older. I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. And I'm, I'm feeling very anxious because I I just feel like I did not I still had one more thing I really needed to do before I had kids. And not saying once you have kids, you can't pursue your dreams or you can't do that. But I really needed to have more of a running head start in this freelancing path I wanted, you know? And and I think if I had kept waiting and waiting and then had the kid, I just feel like I'd be really resentful to them. And everything I was doing had this like underlying subconscious anger. And I wanted to deal with my own fear of failure and my own worry that I never lived life for me. I don't know if either of you went through that where you're like, "I this needs to happen before then. I feel like
1: I had done a lot of things that I wanted to do before I had kids. That's the other thing too, right? Is that I don't, you know, I think if, if for some people I hear them say, oh, I, I regret having kids so young because X, Y, Z or, but I think husband and I had like done a lot of things that we wanted to do. And when I think about having kids, it was almost like um, the next adventure, the next learning opportunity, sorry, not to distill children down to just an adventure or a learning opportunity but it was just some it's it's I think viewing it like that it was really helpful for me like I I'm never I'm not a very like maternal person in the sense of oh I always have wanted to have kids because I love kids sorry I don't like love other people's kids I yeah no me too
2: me too you know
1: I'm not like oh my god children, gift of God. I mean, they are, but you know what I mean? I'm not going to like talk like that. <laughs> so, um, sorry, like you back to my original point. Um, so yeah. And, but I think, you know, because I know I have, I know some people who have chosen to remain child-free, child-free by choice, I think is the term. Right. And I think it's great for them because they know what they want. They know that, you know, they're happy with their life. They feel like they can go on a lot of different adventures and that's very fulfilling for them. And then for me, I think like, oh, this is an adventure. It's very fulfilling. It's lots of fun. Of course, I guess there are other things that, you know, I may not be able to do the same way that I did before, but I also think that like, you just got to be realistic, right? You can't, it's not like your life is over. It's more just like, you have to be flexible and think that I'll do things differently. Just can't do it the same way that I've always done it. It's the same thing with marriage, right? There are a lot of things you, you know, do in a specific way and you just kind of have to learn how to compromise but I guess child is just taking that to another level. So yeah, it's like the ultimate self-help. Not saying that's the reason why you should have a child, but as it turns out, it has, it just like (laughs) becomes
2: surprise. It's also about you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, but I think in the thing of it being about us, I think one thing that is really helpful for me is also thinking of my daughter as, you know, she's her own, Person, I was talking about this with a friend of mine, and um, we were actually talking about it in in you know a biblical sense because Jeanette, and I think you'll get my reference here, which is that you know we don't own our children, right? Unlike maybe traditional Asian cultural perspectives, like your child is extension of you, and like you know in in traditional societies, like your parents had power over you until you, well, even after you left the home, you went to your in laws if you're a woman. But anyway, whereas I think you know to bring a little bit of faith into it, it's that every person, child, adult you know, God's child, which also makes, you know, my friend made the point, she was like, you're your daughter's mother, but you are both children of God, right? And that is a really interesting relationship. And I oftentimes think that the dynamic between parent and child, as we talk about it in today's society, it's very like, you know, parents are up here and then children are down here and it's, it's this very one way dynamic. And so I, I try to think more now in terms of, I have the stewardship of my daughter, for the next 18 years or however, you know, and what can I do to take the best care of this little being who has been gifted to us, right? She's not mine. I mean, she's ours in the sense that she's half my genetics, half my husband's genetics and she's living in our home, but I don't own her. And I think that's a really like freeing concept in many ways and that, you know, it also will be helpful when she has to go through things of her own. I can't prevent her from experiencing pain, loss, and many other things. But if I can be there with her, right, and support her. And I don't know if I would have thought about parenting like that before. But I feel like in the lens of, you know, my faith, it actually helps a lot. It helps to clarify a lot how, you know, how to see that parent-child dynamic. And I, I, I don't think, yeah, again, something that I didn't realize until after I had a kid.
2: But it kind of also it it like releases that pressure valve of like you're completely responsible for their entire future. You know, like it when you say they're also, you know, I'm not I'm not Christian. I'm not religious here. I would say I'm like self-prescribed spiritual here. But like when you also say they're a child of God, it, it helps. It just takes off some pressure existential pressure
1: not necessarily the pressure of like oh now I I can slack off and picking the preschool she should go to but more like existentially you know I'm not like the person who is responsible for every single thing in her existence etc you know that kind of existential pressure
0: yeah and I think that that is just a big part of parenting when you have a kid especially as they get older you just realize oh my goodness you can't control everything that happens in their life and You just need to accept that, and just to um, throw in a cliche here, somebody told me, oh, when you have a kid, it's like your heart is walking outside of your body, and it's like walking around in the world, and it, it is. I mean, it's a cliche, but it really, it's true. You just worry. You know, the other day, my husband and I, we were watching something on TV, and for some reason, there was a second grader who was having trouble making friends at school and then he finally made a good friend and then my husband and I both teared up because we're like oh when Isaiah goes to school we hope that he finds a really good friend because he really wants he just really loves people and he really it's really important for him to have good friends and feel like he has good friends and this little boy had experienced several rejections by his classmates he had asked them if they want to be his friend and they were oh like, no. god <laughs> And so, you know, we just both kind of teared up. I mean, it seems so trivial, like second grade friends, but, you know, you just really do feel everything, every hurt that they're going to feel. And you just can't, that's not a situation where, you know, I can go out and get friends for him. We're kind of drifting off a little bit now, but, you know, that is just a part of being a parent.
2: I mean, have we even sold it yet? Like I, I feel like we're just like, the yeah, intense personal growth, you know, like takes up all your energy. Go take, you know, all these things. And I'm like, oh My God, are we depressing? Are we gonna turn people off to becoming parents? That'd be funny. You know, one of my childless friends was like, I'm so relieved I don't have kids. And I was like, after she listened to our podcast, and I was like, Oh.
1: But maybe no, that's good, I, right? Like it, so it, okay. maybe, maybe this will change people's thoughts about, oh, actually it's not what I thought it would be. So I'm actually more likely. And maybe the ones who really don't want to have kids, they'll just feel more convicted. Maybe, I don't know. Like, like so, help people make better decisions. Yeah, helping people make better decisions.
2: <laughs> well, you just feel less crazy because you're just kind of like, oh my God, there's it's just like so many hormones are involved, expectations, disappointment, judgment for family, Just just even before you get pregnant. Then you get pregnant then you have the kid no sleep you know and it's just like whoa but but let's go back to cliches it's a love you've never felt before Are you and you're making you it, vomit now Susan I'm vomiting in my mind isn't it true though like I, I it's like I it's I I love him so I had a weird a very weird attitude going into pregnancy which was a girlfriend of mine had lost her child as a stillbirth when she gave birth. And it happened to two girlfriends, actually. One knew in advance, one didn't. And I was so freaked out that I did not want to become attached to this child until I saw it breathe in front of me. And so I would, we would, just, I would just be like, ah, I'm 30 weeks pregnant, this is the size of a cantaloupe, cool, you know, or whatever the, the app would tell me. But I didn't want to get too invested And then when the baby came out, Art came out, I was like, this is great, but I I have all these fears. Like, are they awake? Are they breathing? You know, like sometimes they'll check the door. And then I, and, and so I think for a long time, I actually delayed love feelings towards my child. Like, I felt like I was so afraid of losing him that I didn't, I just, I, I wanted, if I did lose him, that loss to be less maybe that's some abandonment stuff around the fact that, you know, I had lost my mom when I was 11. So I'm curbing the pain. And then, but now, you know, he's 15 months old, he's healthy. He's having a great time. And I feel like my love is starting to bubble up in a bigger way. And I'm starting to really feel deeper forms of love than when he was like a little potato sack and not really smiling or laughing. And he was just like a lot of work. And I was like, why did I Like, is this why you do it? You know, but like now I'm starting to reap the rewards of like, just feeling so much pure love from him. And I feel like he's actually healing a lot of wounds in me, like very deep wounds, just by like hanging out and not feeling judged by him. Like, I don't know if you're having this experience with your kid where you're like, wow, this just like, it just feels you know, they're not being manipulative or there's no baggage. I mean, well, not yet, but they're not being manipulative. I mean, my kids, not two or three yet, but like, I just, there's something there that, that I haven't felt in a long time. You know, when we walk around as adults, we're just, we're adulting and not always in a great way.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I realize, you know, your kids, Maybe it is just all about you, right? But like you have kids and in almost all circumstances, they will just love you so much, right? And all the ways that I judge myself and kind of find myself coming up short in my own eyes or what I feel like are the eyes of others. Like, you know, your kid doesn't see any of that to them. Like you're their mom. you are like, awesome. And so, yeah, I think that there is something really powerful in that. And amazing. That doesn't mean like they are always going to love you. Like he said, they're also going to use you as an emotional dumpster. But like, but but there is something really special about that.
2: I, I would say art helps me turn up the fun in my life. You know, like this morning, he really wanted to climb into the laundry basket. And I had to go find the one that has like these little things that we put on the bottom so it doesn't scratch the floor so we go find it I put him in and I'm going and like we're going around the kitchen we're going around the living room and going over the toys and like and he's like and I see a reflection of his face in like one of the glass things or something and I see he's having so much fun you know he's having the time of his life and then I realized I am too (laughs) oh
1: Susan looks like she's about to cry just for people. She is crying. They can't. Oh, she is crying. Okay. She is crying. Yeah.
2: But it's so beautiful. You know, it's like, I, I think as adults, we forget to play and we're always like, oh, worrying about it. Am I investing in the right way? Like, when are we going to retire? Or like, how am I doing compared to my peers? Or should I apply to this thing? Or like, what should be my short-term goal? How I'm going to plan on my day? How do I reduce decision fatigue? Like, have you read this article? Should I be watching this thing? Like, there's just like so much to do to feel like I'm on par. or Like I'm living a highly productive, optimized life, you know, and it's just like, then I hang out with him and I'm like,
0: why am I making life so hard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one thing that I also just, feel inspired by from my kids is you know what my son calls games really are not really games that I feel most adults play and that they have no they have no points they have no winner it's like literally you know putting a little toy train down a ramp right and he's just doing that over and over again or or he likes to make jokes that are just basically rhyming made up words and You know, just things like that. Yeah. I just realized like, oh, my kids just have this love for fun. Yeah. Like at this stage, they don't, it doesn't really matter to them, like who wins or whatnot. If I actually tell him like, oh, if we're doing like a train race and this train won, he'll be like, no, they both won. They're both winners. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not enforcing like, well, you know, there might actually just be one winner. I'm not doing that right now. (laughs) But yeah, it's really interesting and very refreshing, right? They just have an, in- I think they and all of us, we just have an innate ability to have fun. We have an innate curiosity that we want to follow. And it's like you said, Susan, right? It's not like there's not all this other baggage around like, hey, how am I doing against the next person? And, you know, how am I going to present myself so that it's in the best possible light and it can open up this next thing, right? It's just, oh, like, I'm interested in this right now. Like, I just want to do this right now and see what happens if I do it this way or that way, you know? And then if I get bored, I'll just move on to the next thing. It's like, it's so simple. Is life that simple? No, life is complicated, but I think that <laughs> part of you, that, that part. You were can... supposed to say, yes, yes, it's life of you. You're talking to me. I'm never going to say that it's that simple. I'm going to let my kids think that it's simple until they're older, but you know, I mean- But everything it is. is. No, keep going, yeah. There is is like, I, I think it's important to keep that side of you alive though, right? And make space for it and kind of hold, be able to hold that with the more complicated parts of life. Okay, here's the next question.
2: Why more than one? Like you're juiced up on this unconditional love. Why have another kid? Like then you could adopt or or like, okay. And I'm only asking this because I I have gone back and forth on kid number two, like so many times. Like I feel almost insane about it. And it's kind of like, I'm like, why have another second kid, environmental issues here, climate change, hello, consumption. If I want to help the world make it a better place, why don't I just like donate to nonprofits or serve time there, adopt, foster, is, is too so conventional that I, f- like, even if I'm very happy with one, am I feeling not enough because two is such a convention? Are they really going to be lonely and, and not know how to share? You know, are they going to be weirdos? Kate's an only child. <laughs> well, well, wait, but see, all the only kids I do know who are parents are like really firm about having more than one. They're like, I really wanted the sibling experience, and I, that's what we want, you know. And and I've heard that many times, and so I'm kind of sitting here going, like, oh my god, what if if I produce an only child, maybe he's going to then want two, right? When if he ever chooses to have kids or not, right? But I just, anyways, I'm going back and forth, and I want to know what what you thought, because I know know you have two, Kate you're intending to have two, like why? Help me here.
0: You want me to go first, Kate? I was like, did That's you not great. think about it? No, I mean, I think I always thought I wanted to. Some days I'm like, oh, maybe I want a third, but I'm like, no, I can't, I can't have three because I want to have time to do other things, right? So it's going to be two, unless we have something unexpected happen, but I don't know. It's, it's like the question of having any kids at all, right? Having multiple is also a complicated question. I mean, I do think it's kind of a built-in relationship and yeah. and, And I think there is like a part of me that feels okay. When my husband and I pass, I want there to be somebody else that they can turn to right who understood what it was like to grow up with the parents that they that you did because your parents are such a formative experience in your life and nobody else is going to understand it as much as your sibling but then there's another part of me that feels okay you know just because your brothers or sisters doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be good friends for life i've gone through ups and downs in my relationship with my brother And just like any other relationship, you need to cultivate it. And sometimes stuff happens and you just are not in a good place with that person. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of how I think about kid number three is, okay, instead of having kid number three, I'm just going to try to cultivate good friendships for my kids that are almost like siblings, right? They can have each other for what it was like to grow up with us. But then in terms of a broader support network and community, Like Susan, you have three brothers and sisters. I feel it's kind of fun, right? I mean, I'm not that extroverted, but my husband's very extroverted. And I think just he likes when his whole extended family gets together and there's 25 people there and like a lot of things are happening. He finds that fun. And I kind of find it fun every once in a while. And maybe even if I can't have four kids, like I could create that kind of community through friends or through like our extended family, their cousins and and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I never, unlike Jeanette, I never really thought about having any number of kids. As you know, I have like more of a time bomb sitting on me. And so, but actually I'd say, you know, it wasn't too much of a question whether we wanted to have a second because we just really have so much fun with our daughter, Raya. And we just can't imagine her not having a sibling to have even more fun with basically. Like, and both my husband and I are only children and it's the only life, you know, right? So people be like, oh, is it better to be an only child? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know, what it's like to have siblings. so I can't tell you. So I feel like that kind of comparison is not a really good one, but I, I, and I can just say that I think it would be really, really fun for her and for us. And then, you know, the wider consideration is that I don't really have much family in the US. I have a couple of cousins mm. and that's it. The rest of my family's in China. I love them. And I I mean, I can't see them for a while, unfortunately, because of COVID, but I don't know if my daughter or my children would make that effort, right? And so I want her to be able to have something more of a family, a community here Mm -hmm. in the U.S. And then, of course, you know, we got to hurry it up because my kidneys and my cervix are waiting for me to, like, fix them when we're done having kids. And if it weren't for that time pressure, honestly, I feel like I would have never thought I would have three kids. I just would have thought that was insane. But maybe, you know, I actually, I would definitely consider that for all the above reasons why I would
2: have a second. Yeah. You guys all sound like angels. I, I feel like me and Marvin are like selfish because we're kind of like, we love our independence. Marvin loves going out in the outdoors for a few days. I, I do a lot of stuff with my arts career and I'm traveling and, and I, we have certain passions that we really want to create space for. And then we read these long-term studies about couples when they're most unhappy in their lives. And it's when they have children. And it's like, they're most happy right when they get married. And then they're most happy actually when they, they, their happiness starts to move up once they have an empty nest again. And so we read the studies and we're sitting there going like, Hmm. Hmm. And so right now with having just one kiddo, it's a, Maybe it's easier just to transfer the kid off for the weekend to one parent. Yes, it's a lot more work, but it, it's it's working. And then when I talk to parents that have two kids, they're like, "It's not twice as much work; it's three times as much work." And I'm sitting there going, "Like, oh my god!" Like my my ego is saying, "Like, no, we don't want to fully die yet," you know? Like, yeah. and and so I feel nervous about it. And then I go, "Oh my god, Susan, you." you and your foolish dreams. Like when you're in your 50, 60, 70, if you make it to 70, you know, we, we think we're going to, we're immortal or not. But if you make it to your old age, maybe you won't really care about your career. Maybe you won't really have cared so much about your achievements. Like maybe you don't put it on your tombstone. Like, and then I'm scared. I'm going to have this regret of like, you should have had more than one kid. Like kids are so great. Like I always have this fantasy that I'm gonna be a grandma and I have like a fiefdom of kids that are our, our family reunion with our like Sue Mart family clan booty shorts. And like, and it's so fun. We have competitions. Like I, I, I want that family village vibe. I just don't want to have them all come out of my body you know, and I also don't want them to take up all of my time, which I'm like, I'm not sure if I can have both, you know, like, so right now I'm just thinking we're still very much on the fence more on the no side. But then I go, like you said, Jeanette, okay, let's foster great relationships. I have three siblings, they all have kids, go to California more often have this like cousin, this like cousin cohort, and also cultivate relationships or, and their friendships and really honor them. That's what my postpartum therapist said, because I've, Been analyzing if I really want to do this or not. I'm still not sure because I just went to a funeral, and then when you go to funerals, you really think about your life and you really think about what do you leave behind. And so I'm just I'm kind of confused, but my ego still wants my free time.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's totally valid, right? That's a totally valid want, and I don't think. Right. What's like to say, okay, you know, between one kid and two, like zero kid, one kid, one kid to two kid, two kids to three kids, right? It's like, you'd have to draw the line somewhere. And I think for me, yeah, sometimes I'm like, it would be fun to have three. My husband comes from a family of three kids. Everyone in his family has three kids. But I don't think I can do three kids because my kids are finally kind of getting to an age where they don't need so much 24 hour care. Right. And I can have time to do other things like this podcast. And I want that. And I think that that's total, that's valid, right? That's valid for me. That's valid for you. And I don't think you need to have guilt around that.
1: I think also, you know, the decision is tough in the U S and also actually in China, which about it's a re- something we haven't talked about on this episode. It's just cost, you know, the reason like, I'll just put it out there. If we couldn't afford to have childcare for two kids or three kids, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would consider it. And I I have to put that out there because I think we're very like, you know, we're very privileged to be able to say that. But a lot of people can't. And it actually a lot of people in, you know, who are solidly, solidly middle class, who actually have decent incomes, two household incomes. The cost of child care is just prohibitively high and we have really shitty ass, I'm going to say it, shitty ass maternity leave or lack thereof policies still, you know, widely. And this just society just does not support, does not make it easy for working families to have more kids because of the whole childcare cost and then, you know, a lack of social support situation. So I I just have to put that out there because I feel like it's a luxury to be able to say I want to have two kids and maybe more, you know, to me at least.
0: Yeah, no, totally. 100%. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because what? I mean, let's just talk specific numbers, right? Like here in Seattle, right? Full-time childcare to allow a mom to work, it's like between, it's like at least $2,200, right? And going up to like $2,600. You have two kids, that's like five, that's five grand a month, right? It, and that's until not, they get to kindergarten. Until they get to kindergarten. But public school also... Ends at 2.30, right? So you still are going to need care even after they start going to school because you're going to need probably care for like at least two to three hours after they get out. That's not including babysitters or date night, like and anything like that. So it, it is a lot. $5,000 of post-tax income is a lot. You can't support that on a minimum wage or even a $15 wage, $15 per hour wage. Like that's just not possible, right? Not possible, yeah.
2: And then you lean on your family Public programs. I mean, I I feel like as a mother, or you, or you don't de- work,
1: or you st- yeah you you drop out of work. the
2: workforce. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's just like there's so many decisions we have to make outside of can we afford daycare? Right. It's just like which products, you know, like where are they in their leap development, and are we doing the right things? You know, okay, let me get some tips for my girlfriends. Like we're always doing labor to improve the situation, even if it's not like directly holding them.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. That's what
0: I, yeah, that's what I mean. Right. It's like, okay, they may be in care for eight and a half hours, but half an hour of that is spent driving them back and forth. And then, you know, you're going to spend some time, some amount of time that you just need to do these logistical things. That's very hard to do when they're physically like with you. So I think that's just the reality of it. Right. I mean, maybe we'll have an episode on just the reality of childcare, but uh, I mean, I think, Kate, you bring up a great point, which is, forget college, right? It's like, we're not even talking oh about college. Yeah. We're just like, talking about when they're born to, like, when they start going to school. How do you afford care for them?
1: Is this a deterrent for any of our listeners? I know. I like I'm like, something like, kind of depressing. <laughs> I mean, just being I realistic, you know, it is, it is, and probably a lot of our listeners are going to be in a position to, to be able to afford that maybe, but maybe some won't, and it is, you know, it is a consideration. You just have to be realistic about, and it's not even, we're not talking about like, Oh, going to be best private day. It's just average costs in a metropolitan area. Right. Like we're not even talking about like super fancy.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Care. But yeah. But then the, the, this is where you get creative and you're like, Hey, do we want our mother-in-law or mother to live with us? Or is there a mother-in-law unit or like, do we, you know, hey, aunt, you know, like, and they, you start to start thinking about like, who can live with us, or how, or you look at au pairs from Europe, you know, and I'm like, oh, I just hope they're not hot, you know, like, you, 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 you start going down this rabbit hole of how do I actually make this work, and then when you're at work, perform, and people not doubt you that you're like, not fully available, you know, and it's just like. We're, we're always having to fire on all our cylinders, like all the time. And then when you go to sleep, this is so not a, why have kids episode. Then when you go to sleep, sometimes you think you hear your baby crying and they're not crying, but you think you hear it. And you go like, should I go? Should I not, you know? And it's just like, it's eerie because it's like your mom-ness is always like on. Yeah. So why should we have kids again? Votes, voting. <laughs> Vote, voting. For policies, vote for policies
1: you want well I mean it could be just mundane reasons a friend of mine recently said she really loves board games but her husband doesn't play with her and so she wants to have three kids so that she can have she can play board games with them
0: that is I mean obviously the that's most costliest yeah that's like the yeah <laughs> like, joke, maybe joke. she could find some people on craigslist who will play <laughs> board games with her I everybody has different
1: reasons I think it's just sort of be realistic and clear about you know I guess why you want to have kids it's there's no like I mean, there are some probably less than kosher reasons for having them, but.
0: I mean, but I I also mentioned this in the, in our last episode with Sarah, right? It's like, there's your lizard brain and then there's your limbic brain and then there's your rational brain. Like we're trying to come up with rational reasons why we want to have kids. I mean, like, I think a part of it is we're just animals, right? And like animals, like the reason we're here is because our ancestors had kids right? So it's like the evolutionary pressure is for us to want to have children,
2: right? And so I think that,
0: um... yeah, so there's just an aspect of it. It's like, even if we don't have a rational reason for it, we have the intuitive desire to reproduce. And I think that it's a valid consideration. And then I think the other part of it is kind of like marriage, like marriage is pretty challenging, I think, for most people I know. We didn't really talk about marriage in this episode but maybe we can in another episode, you enter into it and it's an opportunity for a lot of personal growth and deep relationship. And I think having children, there are a lot of similarities to that, right? I mean, it's incredibly difficult, but then there's a lot of things that are really rewarding about it.
2: Yeah, but it's okay. But at the same time with marriage, you can separate from your spouse. Like, There's a 45% divorce rate. And if you're upper middle income, it's a 35% divorce rate you know, you, if, if things weren't going as well as you wanted to, you can make a separation, but with your kids, your kids, you can never separate from them. And so I think it adds like a different level of commitment to trying to like really figure things out or be really mindful. that Okay. We're the adults. So like, how do we think about this? Like your relation, this is the most unique relationship ever that, that you actually wouldn't, you don't sever, you know, like it's such a
0: profound relationship. Yeah. It's very special. But don't you think like in some ways, like we yeah. need that commitment device? Oh, marriage? No, no, no. The the child parent relationship that you can never sever. Or if you do, I mean, I think for most people, it's like kind of, it's one of the last really sacred like things, right? In our society, a parent abandoning their child is still considered really bad. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it's, I mean I, I'm an artist around these very topics of the parent-child relationship, right? I'm obsessed with it because it's it's the core. It's your first relationship ever. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I know this all sounded really somber, but I wanna close with one cool moment that I had with art. And this cool moment is this thing that we do every other day. It's called, I think I've talked about it before, the dad bod challenge. No, I don't think I you talked about it. <laughs> well, now I do it as a mama, but I, I we take a banana. Like a, a, a not super ripe banana. So I'm not talking like spots. The banana cannot have spots. It's, it's got, maybe it's a little green or it's just fully yellow. I take the banana. I hold it up in front of Art and Art like gets ready. And he puts his um, fist by his ears and he's, he's like locking his, his elbows. And then I go one, two, three and I try to break the banana in half with the peel also broken too. And I usually I, I fail and the peel is still stuck. But whenever Marvin does it, he like fully commits and it breaks. And then Art, he, 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 after I do it, he goes, yes. And like, he like, he, he doesn't say yes, but he like, he looks like he's doing the motion of yes to himself. And then ever since we did the dad bod challenge, we do it, you know, whenever we eat bananas, he, throughout the day, he's just always doing like the victory thing of the dad bod
0: challenge and okay, it's do you have to describe funniest- it in words because like our viewers are not going to be able to see it. it's like that okay. kind of fist pump thing like with the elbow down
2: it's like yeah yes like motion yeah
0: yeah like that gift with that little kid when he's like awesome you know and and
2: and, and i just see art like when we're getting about to eat raspberries he goes yes you know and or when we're going to do something where he's excited he just just he just does it all day long and i think it's hilarious i think it's cute that we had this one moment and he like relives it. And maybe he thinks it's a symbol for something else. I don't know. But that's the fascinating thing about kids is you get to see development and learning and it's so small, but I feel so proud of him because he did not know that yesterday. You know, full circle is today, tomorrow is today. The future Mm -hmm. is yeah. You know what? Everything Isaiah said, it's like time and children is so fascinating and and I would never want to give that up you know like I I enjoy that and it's beautiful yes parenting is very hard but there are so many beautiful moments yeah and you you two can try the dad bod challenge
0: (laughs) there's an aspect of it where it's like having a guest from out of town and showing them all the sights like you've seen them before but it's pleasurable to go again with somebody who's never seen it before and kind of see through them, like the way that they're enjoying it for the first time. I feel like there's an element of that really with my kids too. Things that I enjoy, books that I enjoy that I haven't read for a long time. I do that with them and then they love it. And then like, I love it again.
1: You've just listened to a confessional of Model Minority Moms. If you loved this episode, please give us a rating, Follow us on Instagram at Model Minority Moms and tell a friend about us. If you have a suggestion for a future episode or questions, send us an email at Model Moms at gmail.com.